You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, Tommy's here. Aaron's here. I am here as well. Um, We're going to start with the Kobe stuff because Tommy hasn't weighed in on the Kobe stuff. Um, Yesterday, most of the show was about the tragic uh, death of Kobe Bryant. Um, LeBron James weighed in. Uh, We're going to get to that here momentarily. Um, But I I do, you know, I, I think it's one of those days, Sunday was one of those days in which People, you know, the first question asked of people is, well, how'd you hear about it? What were you doing? How'd you hear about it? What was your reaction? Well, I think most people now, when they hear about these things, uh, nine times out of ten, they hear about it on social media. You know, I mean, uh, that that's how I found out about it. Uh, and uh, your first reaction is, uh, okay, now we need to find out if this is really true. Once you read, once you see it on social media, then you say, "Now I need to find some credible sources." So, where, did you see the first TMZ report? Which, I mean, yeah. what were, were you? What were you doing? Were you at home Sunday? Were you on one of your walks? Were you swimming? What were you doing on Sunday? On Sunday, I was writing the column uh, you, at home on the, the Chiefs column that you wrote. Yes. So you weren't you weren't even watching the Maryland game. No, I wasn't watching the Maryland okay. game. Well, they were playing Indiana. As you I know, know that. Yeah. I know um, that. And I'm sure in, in your world, that's a big deal. It was, in I my know. world, a big deal. So you were writing a column, and you, you had I, your phone on? Or, yes. Or, okay. Yes, I saw it on social media. Gotcha. I, I mean, I, I don't remember it like uh, where I was when the Kennedy assassination happened. <laughs> okay. Or, or okay, it's, 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 yeah. I, it, it. Where were you for the Kennedy assassination? I was in school. You were? I was in grade school. Do you remember how the whole day played out? Yeah, I do. Okay. Tell I me remember about it. I remember vividly this part in particular. This is something I'm, I'll, I'll be ashamed of to the day I die. Uh, going back to my neighborhood after the uh, the uh, after school that day, and uh, we had. Uh, we had, like every neighborhood, we had a Chinese laundry. And back then, you know, we identified the Chinese as, as communists. And, you know, somehow we had heard that the communists had killed JFK. So a bunch of kids in my neighborhood, we went after this, this young, this poor kid who, whose parents owned this, this Chinese laundry. And it was a terrible thing. It was horrible, you know? When you said you went after this kid, what did you do? Well, I think we beat him up. Oh, really? Yeah, it's terrible. What can I say? I mean, you know, I was like seven, eight years old. Really stupid. And if if he's listening out there, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I live with it to this day. I do. I really do. I'm not kidding. How many of you beat this kid up, and did you beat him up badly? No, we didn't beat him up badly. Okay. Was he just hanging out in front of the... The laundrom- he was on the, He was on the street in the neighborhood. Mm. You always took a risk Do when you, remember you were his on name? the street. And, no, I don't. No, I don't. In school, how did you get the news? Did they play it over the PA speaker? Or yes, did they teachers, did. Were yeah. the teachers upset? Were the oh, adults yeah. upset? Yeah. Yeah, it was It was a pretty upsetting situation. Uh, in fact, I think they let us out of school early. Mm-hmm. They let us out of school early, and, and, and our parents, I know, were, were waiting. Usually, typically, I mean, I only lived a block from school. So my parents wouldn't be there. My mother wouldn't be there to come get to get me, but she was waiting for me 
when I got there. And then after I got home, I did what kids did. I went out to play. And who were your parents talking about that the commies did it to Kennedy? I don't think so. No. I, I, don't, I don't think so because my father wasn't there. He was at work. Uh, I don't remember my mom talking about it, but uh, I think it was other kids started talking about it. And, and you know, it developed into a mob mentality. We knew that something bad had happened. The president of the United States had been shot. Right. We thought we were. We thought that the communists were coming over to Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, you know. Right. So we um, did something really horrible and stupid that you are regretful still to this day. Yes. About. Um, I mean, your JFK, which I was not alive for, nine eleven was yes. the day for for me. I yeah. mean, and for m- most people that live through nine eleven, and if you live through both, which you did, yes, they're both equally as surreal in terms of the days, right? Yeah. I mean, you're seven or eight years old, you said, so it's a little bit different in the way you interpreted it that day. I mean, you chose to go beat up the kid <laughs> whose parents owned the Chinese laundromat. I don't know what you did at nine eleven. Were you searching out, you no. know, anybody that looked like no. a terrorist? No, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I, I was sitting at home uh, watching MSNBC because uh, I, I think I, I usually watched Imus every morning when he was on MSNBC TV and they broke in uh, with the news. And then, you know, I mean, so I, I watched all that unfold on TV and didn't immediately grab my pitchfork and run out on the street and look for the enemy. You know, um, one of the I mean. I played back on the radio show this morning John Thompson's appearance yesterday with Doc and Al talking about Kobe Bryant. I've always, I always felt like Coach really was good on days like yesterday yeah. on his radio show. So I played it back, and just in talking about 9-11, that's one of the more incredible stories of all time is that John Thompson II, Coach John Thompson, Big John, was supposed to be on the plane that ended up, yeah. you know, I'm going into the Pentagon. He was supposed to be on that plane, and something happened that changed the flight for him to a different time that day. But that was the flight that he was originally um, supposed to be on. You know, I was supposed to fly that day. Now, I had a meeting um, out in, of all places, believe it or not, South Bend, Indiana. But I was flying to Chicago and then going into, uh, into South Bend after that. And the meeting had gotten canceled like two days before, but it was a day like within that previous week I was supposed to fly in. Wouldn't have mattered. I wouldn't have been on one of those planes you see, flying Aaron, to Chicago. Aaron, nine eleven all of a sudden just became about Kevin. No, it didn't. Look well, at that. What JFK was about you? Well, you were asking me questions. I was telling you. <laughs> no, I didn't ask you anything about whether you were flying on nine eleven. Um, I I didn't. No, you didn't. But I, I, it was a segue from the John Thompson. Okay, I think I think if you're younger, well, how did you find out about Kobe? Uh, I was watching the Maryland game, and my son, who was watching the Maryland game at Penn State, I don't, you know, I really don't want to talk about my reaction because that's making it more about me. <laughs> I wanted to get your version of it. I told everybody yesterday what it was. I, okay. Ryan, my youngest, who's at Penn State, we're usually during these Maryland games, three of us or sometimes more are on a group text during right. the games. Like, Jesus, why did he go to a 2-3 zone there? <laughs> um, and, uh, and he texted, he said, Kobe died, question mark, question mark, are you guys seeing this? And then I was with my other son, right. and we immediately became not interested in the basketball game, right. which was a great game, and consumed with doing what you were doing, which is, is this true or not? And I mentioned, Tommy, yesterday that, you know, for me, like, it was a surreal, shocking, stunning, you know, news day, obviously. I wasn't a big Kobe guy. 
he wasn't my guy, but man, was he the guy for my kids and their generation. Absolutely. My middle son, Corbin, who produces this show sometimes when Aaron's gone, that was his guy. I mean, he took it hard. I mean, in middle school, he was waking up to look at highlights on SportsCenter to see what Kobe had done. I mean, he knows everything about Kobe Bryant's career. Kobe Bryant was everything to him. And um, it was it was crushing to, the, to, to that those people. And the other thing, too, is it happened on a Sunday in January when, you know, a lot of this country, not a lot, not the majority, but a lot of people are in gyms, you know, playing, refing, watching youth basketball games with kids who loved Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, explaining, you know, before or after the game about what had happened to a lot of young people. It was, it was quite an impactful day. It was, but but it, it's a generational thing. Kobe, I agree with you, Kobe wasn't my guy either, you know. But if I had grown up maybe a generation before, he probably would have been. Uh, and the impact he had is, is worldwide. I mean, I, I, did a, I did a column about f- five years ago about a young uh, Chinese-American girl from, uh, who was going to a, a friend central school up in Philly, uh, and my sister-in-law was a teacher up there. She told me about this girl who had basically started a Kobe website because she was so obsessed with Kobe right. a- in China, even though she lived here. She basically started it. You know, on the Chinese internet, and uh, it had you know six, seven, eight million, eight million followers. That's amazing. Uh, and she just loved. And she had a chance to meet Kobe, and she just loved him. So his impact, he touched a lot of people. I mean, I just, I think we're just seeing. I mean, how many people he had an impact on. You know, it's funny. I normally, I would have written a column for Monday's paper about Kobe died, but I'd already written my column. I planned I'd write in two Super Bowl columns this week. One of them about the 50 years ago when the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl and the great defense they had. Right. I had interviewed Bobby Bell, who was a linebacker on that team, and I, I thought it was a good column, and I wasn't, I wasn't going to sub it out, you know, and get rid of it. Plus, to, I, I, can't, I could not speak any better than a lot of other people did about Kobe Bryant. I mean, like Bill Plaschke. Oh yeah, I read that. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, he I was mean, devastated. Yeah, I, I can't I can't write anything that's going to be more insightful or better than that. So, uh, and and there were a lot of media members who had relationships with Kobe. Uh, because, well, did they ask you to write about it? No, they didn't. But that would have been the natural order. Did of somebody else write for it in your paper? Uh, we so wrote write a about story it? about it. No one wrote a column about it. So they don't on a day like that in your business, you don't get somebody, an editor, or somebody, um, somebody in charge that says, "I know you got a column coming out about the '69 Chiefs and Hank Stram and matriculating the ball down the field, boys." But Kobe Bryant just died. You got to write about this. Well, but they they felt like they had it in in control with, with the story that they were doing. Okay, they didn't feel feel like they needed. But to. you could have written about Kobe. Yes, I could have. Okay, I could have. But it wouldn't have been again. It wouldn't have been any better than than what anybody else. Because it wasn't it wasn't something he wasn't somebody you were right. passionate about. Right. Can you think of the the people you've known from afar that people from afar that you didn't know stars in whatever thing? Uh, what's your list of of people who? Is there a list of people for you who died who who really did impact you? No, bias. Okay. Bias is sense. number one for me. Yeah. And Sean Taylor's up yeah. there. 
But bias for me was just, you know, in the same way that the Kobe death, it just it blows you away. Remember the Sean Taylor thing? He was in the hospital. He had yes. been shot. And there was news the night before that he was getting better. Remember, I think it was Vinny Serrato that sort of gave out that information that he's getting better. And there was a sense the night before he passed away, as you were going to bed as a fan, that maybe he's going to be all right. And then you woke up. I remember waking up to um, Todd, um, you know, calling me. Castleberry, who was our uh, program dire- director and general manager, calling me at 4.30 a.m., something like that, 5 a.m., and saying... He died. He died overnight. You got to get in there. And um, but the uh, but I don't I don't want to make it about me. Um, the uh, the bias death. No, the bias death was was the worst. What was about the it? absolute worst? It was devastating at the time. And he was just. It was also Tommy. You know, for people my age then. Uh, and I was not a drug user. I just wasn't. I mean, I smoked weed every once in a while, and I certainly drank a lot. Um, but I was not a cocaine user. I had a lot of friends that did a lot of coke in college, you know, in the 80s. You know, and th- that was to to hear that he had died from cocaine intoxication, especially given his physical stature. Yeah. He was so physically imposing. It scared the shit out of so many people. But it was so sad. We, I was looking so forward to seeing him with the Celtics and in the NBA and seeing that career. He he is, I mean, I, Juan Dixon won a title. Len Bias is the greatest player in the history of Maryland basketball. Um, Dixon's two. And most, most of us that live through the Bias era, I think, would say that. That was the most shocking and the most impactful. But for my kids, it was Sunday. Really? No doubt. I think you're right. I think for like, I mean, for that generation of, of fans who grew up with Kobe, uh, to have him die so young, uh, I, I think it's just, it's it's something that will impact them. They'll never forget for the rest of their lives. They'll, they'll be telling co- stories about Kobe Bryant and what they loved about him for, for, for years to come. You know, I, I didn't have a an athlete who died young, uh, who I admired from afar, you know, uh, when Joe Fraser died, when Muhammad Ali died, uh, but they were both older and they were sick when, when they both died. And the the one the one person I think of constantly is John Belushi. I mean, I was a huge Belushi fan, and uh, to have woken up and 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 to be in the Eastern Express newsroom. When Belushi died, I think at the age of 32, uh, really hit me hard. Hit me, hit me hard. Because usually, I think it's, I, I always think it's difficult and a little strange to be so passionate about somebody you don't really know. Yes. I mean, of course, but these people who we've never met, who, um, you know, who, you know, you would never get a chance to meet more likely than not, but we invest so much time into yes. them and they have so much impact on our lives. And, you know, not influence necessarily, but impact and emotional, t- you know, there's an emotional, you know, tie that you have with these people. I think that, um, I think part of Sunday too is the same thing that I experienced when Len Bias passed away. It was so shocking. There was no warning. It wasn't a long sickness. It wasn't, you know, uh, it was, 
it was also it, it gets combined also with sort of that horrifying you know image of how it happened yeah you know in those last moments and the fact that his daughter was there with oh him. yeah and you know yeah, all of that absolutely. adds up to just an unbelievably hard to take day uh you know I mean, you. I don't remember Roberto Clemente dying. I don't remember. I, I remember Thurman Munson, but I wasn't a Yankee fan. I know that was a big Clement, deal. Clemente is the comparable. Yeah, it's really the comparable. I mean, the whole sports world was was well, the whole world was stunned because not just that he died, but how he died on a humanitarian mission delivering supplies right. to earthquake vic- victims in Nicaragua, uh, just coming off. Uh, getting his 3,000 hit and winning the World Series, uh, and you know, off that. Uh, so Clemente's the comparable in the sports world, uh, in, in, in dramatic deaths compared to Kobe. Somebody tried to make the case to me it's late Sunday or yesterday. I think I mentioned it on the podcast yesterday that the Dale Earnhardt death for that fan population was the worst thing ever. Yes, it I agree with so, that too. It was but so he, shocking he, and so he, awful, and he was so he, revered. He died in doing a sport where people die. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that's a little bit different. I mean, people die in car racing. Yeah. You know? I mean, is there a sense that Kobe's death was senseless? Like, Bias's death was senseless? As opposed to having an illness. Well, I mean, are you suggesting that these helicopters are dangerous? No, I'm just saying. You know, I mean, it's an accident. Yeah, it is an accident. But it's. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's if there's any feeling of that it was senseless for 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 it to happen. Just. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of second guessing that's going to come about the flight. I I I know people who are pilots. I know. Well, we're starting to hear that right now. There were a lot of mistakes that were made. Uh, on that helicopter flight. Have you ever flown in a helicopter? I have, but I think only one time in a helicopter. Do you remember remember where? Uh, Yeah, we, uh, it was in business and it was with a company that had a helicopter and we were doing a PR tour for the launching of our product. Okay. And so we actually were on a private plane for some of the trip and on a helicopter for another part of it. I've never been on a helicopter. Yeah, I don't, and I, I wouldn't get on one unless I, unless I unless I had to. I don't remember feeling anything but just excited to take a helicopter ride. <laughs> like those things never really bothered me. But you know, it seems like over the years we've had a lot of helicopter crashes. Yeah. Like this one was, you know, Buck was on with us yesterday on radio, and you know, Buck's a pilot. Um, you know that Steve Buckhans yes. is a pilot, and he said this was the real deal in terms of helicopters. Two engines, like it yeah. was a, it, you know, this these things don't you know just go down. Um, it had, I mean, I'm sure, and we're learning some of this too, is that it was more likely than not, you know, truly weather related. The one eyewitness, and it wasn't eyewitness; it was really an ear witness to it, was this guy who heard the helicopter flying at what he perceived to be a super low level, but it was so foggy, he couldn't see right. it. And 20 seconds later, he heard the crash. Yeah. And he was the one, the first one to call 911. Listen, know, I'm not saying you know, like helicopters are dangerous. The president flies in a helicopter. I know. So, I mean, you've got, you've got to assume they're, rel- they're, they're pretty, pretty safe mode of travel. But, you know, uh, Tommy, I again to make it about me, which is what this show is going to be about today. I live, you know, where I live. I live near where we do this show, and I actually live 
on the Reagan National flight path into the runway that, you know, bends around Arlington in, in the Kennedy Center and the old USA Today building, and then it's got to get down real quickly yes. to make the landing. Anybody that's landed on that particular runway, I think it's called, I think it's runway 13. I could be wrong, but anybody that's taken that river landing from the north flying south on the river, you know, knows that flight. I mean, that's the flight path. It's, it goes right over my house. And um, the helicopters that fly from the White House to Camp David take the same route. I can't tell you how many times, at least a half dozen times during the course of the year, we'll hear multiple helicopters, not flying that high, yeah. that fly right over our house. And you can almost tell which are sort of the president's helicopters versus other helicopters. And usually on that flight path, they're going to Camp David. Do you run out of the house and wave? No, I don't. You don't wave to, <laughs> I don't, don't wave to I, I don't. Really? Um, I, bet, I think you should. I, I wanted to ask you about the reporting of this. And this is your area of, of expertise. Like TMZ was the first to break it. What, what's your reaction to that? How they handle it? How they're not necessarily super concerned, Is my this is an opinion, about getting it right. Their most their 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 emphasis is on being first. Right, it's paid off pretty well for them. It really has. I mean, people take them seriously now. Where they didn't take them seriously a few years ago, they put them as the National Enquirer of of, of you know, like the supermarket tabloid of TV. Right. But now you have to take them seriously. I think it it really probably started back with the Michael Jackson reporting, but. Uh, uh, you know, for everybody, another very shocking yes, death. For for everybody who's ready to rip TMZ for premature reports about who was dead and 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 reporting the deaths before family members were contacted, let's remember they weren't in the helicopter. They 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 were didn't happen to be standing there when the helicopter went down. Somebody in emergency management tipped them to this. Well. I, I could be wrong about this, and I still haven't seen this. Aaron, was it you who told me this or Greg who told me this, that they were apparently scheduled to do something with Kobe Bryant and the Mamba Academy at where they were heading okay. to that basketball game in Thousand Oaks. Okay. That may not. I could be wrong about that. I, I, I think I've. I think multiple people have told me that. I don't think I've read that anywhere, but that they may have been in position to sort of get the news first. From, but still, get the news but, from but, where? But you're right. They're not sitting on the side of that right. hill where the pl- where the helicopter went down, and, of and, course. And, and, and in other words, somebody of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, look, the reason they get this information is because palms get greased um, on low-level employees, ambulance, police, firemen, uh, you know, 9-11 operators. Palms get greased about giving information to organizations like TMZ. So if you're really looking for the source of frustration as to how these erroneous, how the reports got out before family were contacted, start with the emergency people well, I, and I, find out how, how TMZ found out about it. That's, how, that's where the, the source of frustration should be. Right. It would have to be, I mean, the news started to break Sometime, Aaron, around 1.30 p.m. Eastern, because it was in about the 8-minute mark left in the Maryland-Indiana game. Uh, That's how I know that. Somewhere around that time. 
And so that's 10.30 a.m. Pacific, and the thing went down at 9.47 a.m., I think it was. So it was within an hour. Right. That is, so within an hour, the information was out, which meant somebody knew that the helicopter crashed and there was a pretty good chance that, that Kobe Bryant was on the heli- uh, helicopter. Yeah. Um, but before we get to the other reports that happened during the day, because I think this is, I, I think it's an interesting conversation, especially to have with someone like you who this is your area. Um, if that per- person whose grease, whose palm was greased, if it had been greased by the LA Times, are you going to tell me that the LA Times wouldn't have broken the story? Before the, the LA family? Times wouldn't grease anyone's palm. Okay. If the okay. LA Times knew of Kobe Bryant being on that helicopter, had gotten, you know, tipped without greasing any palms, somebody had called the LA Times first and said, helicopter crash, manifest, Kobe Bryant's on it. They wouldn't have waited for next. No, they kin. wouldn't have. Okay, just I want to make cl- no. sure that people are clear on this. No, they wouldn't because the they, criticism they of TMZ done that. was that they didn't care about. In fact, the LA sheriff was the one who said, and the sheriff's department criticized TMZ about getting this information out prior to the the next of kin being notified. Any major outlet would have done that. Yes, again, the issue was that the sheriff, someone in the sheriff's department, told or somebody. An emergency management told TMZ. This is how they find out about things like this. So there's the, this tweet that just came out from someone from Sports Grid who just had on their show someone from TMZ who said that, first off, they were in touch with one of Kobe's reps before they went out. So at least Kobe's family did not find out through TMZ. They knew about it. And secondly, that they did find out through LAPD. Yeah. Through LAPD. I mean, again, I mean... Th- that, that's how that's how this works. Wait, what, now was, the, what was the first now, part when that, you talk that about Kobe's the, family knew about it before yes. the TMZ report? Yes. Now, when you talk about media, remember, like you, like I just pointed out to you, and you when you brought the LA Times, no one from the LA Times is paying some some uh, ambulance worker for tips. Doesn't mean that that ambulance worker's first call won't be to the LA Times. Right, but but no one's paying them. Right. TMZ, I'm, I I don't know for sure if they paid them. But I know, you know, their standards are going to be different. So how, how would it work exactly? How does it work? Does it work that it's set up previously with the LAPD? Hey, if somebody famous dies, we'll pay you X amount if you tip us off. Well, I'm sure there's somebody. I'm sh- I, I can't say I'm sure. I believe there's probably people on, on, on their payroll uh, under the table who, who know the kind of stuff that they would want or know like if they, they feed this information, what they would pay for? What do you think they do pay for it? A lot of money. What do you think? What's a lot? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I I I don't know. If I had had somebody from TMZ on, I would have that that would have been something I would have. I mean, I'm sure they're not going to probably no, tell me not, for competitive reasons. Tell that. But I wonder what it really is. I bet it's not as much as you think it is, given the person they're asking to give the tip. You know, in in their likely income level. I, I bet, bet it's not anywhere near what you think. I it bet is. it's a thousand dollars. Oh, least. I, I, I was thinking you were thinking a lot more than that no, when no. you said a lot of money. No, no, no. Okay. No. Um, so uh, I'm with you. I mean, first of all, this is sort of what they do, and they've created a really good business doing yes. it, and they haven't been wrong very much. I don't. I'm not keeping a running tally of the ones they get right and the ones they get wrong, but it seems to me like TMZ gets it right a lot. Then the after. 
the Kobe TMZ breaks it, and then I think it was the ABC affiliate in Los Angeles that conf- that also confirmed the story before it was on any network. It wasn't even on the ESPN crawl for like thirty plus minutes after TMZ had broke the story. Which explain this to me? They really are. They've got to really make sure that it is confirmed. Yes. Right. Yeah, They're he, not going to start running it on the crawl that TMZ is reporting this. They yeah. could do that. In other words, uh, the amount of people that are going to remember that you weren't first with it is pretty small compared to the amount of people wrong. who would remember if you were wrong about it. Right. In no. fact, you know, they also have to keep in mind a lot of people, most people, aren't on Twitter hearing the yes. news through TMZ. Yes. And so if they put breaking news ESPN does or CNN does on their crawl that, you know, even according to in crediting TMZ, Kobe right. Bryant's been killed, people are going to remember I saw it on ESPN. I yeah. saw it on CNN and, and won't remember the according to uh, part. Then you get into all the other reporting during the course of the day. Rick Fox was on the plane, on the helicopter, and he's among the dead. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, apparently, according to Wilbon, he is one of Kobe's really good friends. And that, you know, that horrific, you know, stretch of time on Sunday when the reporting was that all four of of his his daughters. daughters were on the plane. I mean, on a day like that, you know, TMZ's got it first. Now everybody's trying to chase to get the information on who else, you know, died. Right. And a lot of people got that wrong. Yeah. What are the ramifications for them getting it wrong? Well, there's there's no ramifications. Uh, I can't even tell you who got it wrong. Yeah, there are, there are no ramifications. I mean, because things move so quickly once the news broke, you know, and uh, the, the, the misinformation did not last long. I mean, there, I, we knew pretty quickly uh we knew at some point pretty quickly who had really died you know and and who hadn't so while the misinformation was out there and it seems like a big matzo ball when it's on twitter like you said i mean i we we live in this world where people think like everybody in in in, uh, on the global planet is on twitter and it's a very small fraction of social media so right exactly so uh I just don't think there's that much ramifications, uh, except if you're the Washington Post reporter who got suspended from the Washington Post. Yeah, I want to get to that in a moment. Have you ever been tipped off to a story where you would have had it first, but you needed more confirmation, and in the process of trying to get more confirmation, somebody beat you to the punch? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. Like what? Do you remember anything? Well, the, the, uh, the mass exodus of the Redskins executives, the uh, Brian LaFamina exodus. I mean, I went to Brian LaFamina's house on Christmas Eve yeah, right. and knocked on the door because I I didn't. I mean, it was a big story, and I feel like I, while I had one really good source, I needed to confirm it. Uh, so I went on Christmas Eve. I was driving around Loudoun County knocking on Redskins executives' doors trying to see what was true or not, and eventually I got beat by it on it. You know, but uh, I can't remember who got it. Well, I mean, I think who got it. I, I think Craig Hoffman actually was the one who actually may, may have broken it. Well, uh, that must have hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, it didn't hurt. Yeah, uh-huh. you know. Now, but then in subsequent reporting, because of the information I, I had, I knew, like, I knew I was the one who wrote that the Reuben Foster signing was the straw that broke the camel's back for La Famina and and his 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 dispute 
with, with the football Listen, you people. were the first person in on the first podcast we did together to say, hey, Brian, I hope you're renting <laughs> and you're not buying because I don't. I think within a year you'll be out of here. Well, that, that, was, was, that, that, that was just educated <laughs> guessing. Was the, I know. I, it, was, it was a great educated yeah. guess. But uh, So that's just one that pops the top of my head. But I've had... I've had numerous stories like like, like that, you yeah. know, where I, I've gotten beat. And in the old days, getting beat, you know, like in these in these days, you're beat for a minute. You're beat for two minutes. It's not. In the old days, you were beat for 24 hours. Right. In other words, the paper came out with a story that you didn't have and you couldn't come back for 24 hours. So you had to live with that gut-wrenching feeling that you got beat for a whole day. Now it lasts a minute or two. So is it not important anymore about being first? In the industry, it's important. Inside the business. For for, for listeners, readers, they viewers. They don't know. No. I don't think so either. No. They, they, they don't know who had what. But uh, on Twitter, pe- reporters fawn over themselves saying, this guy had it first. You know, even if he had it 30 seconds it's first. It's so inside baseball. It is. And it's I, an, and, industry, and, it's and an I, industry respect thing more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, in this city with this football team in particular, with all of the news and with, with so many people having their hands in so many different source, you know, buckets, you know, it's been, um, especially for the beat people on the beat, you know, for the people on the beat, that's really more or less what they're doing for talk show hosts not so much right for columnists not so much right um but i just don't think that the public i i don't think that the consumer really cares or even remembers more times than not no they don't no, but again unless uh, it's a real big one but but you know if if you're if you're proud of what you do inside the business then it matters to you yeah when well, it matters what your peers uh, think of you or in terms of level of respect. TMZ's you know business model isn't just about breaking news, but man, they have really become pretty good at it. And yeah. man, th- this one you know that's one of those where I mean, if you are in that you know world of breaking news, when they get that call on Sunday from an LAPD insider, uh, hey, Kobe Bryant just killed in a helicopter accident. Calabasas, California. I mean, yeah. Whoa, yeah. I mean, first of all, the adrenaline and the rush in such a, a in such a a you know professional way of oh my god, we have this, and at the same time, probably dealing with the human element, which is oh my god, yeah, we have this, yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, but they they were probably more excited about having the information <laughs> and being able to break the story, more more or less. So this Post reporter, um, I'll read you the story. The Washington Post was criticized on Monday um, by many, I guess, in media for placing one of its reporters on administrative leave after she generated controversy for a series of tweets posted in the wake of Kobe Bryant's death. Um, most of you know, and we briefly mentioned it yesterday, um, 
Bryant was accused in 2003 of sexual assault. The criminal charge was later dropped. Bryant um, never admitted guilt, although he did settle in a civil suit with this 19-year-old hotel uh, worker um, who claimed that it was sexual assault, um, and he, he, which Kobe Bryant said was a consensual relationship. But anyway, this woman, um, Felicia Somnes, who's a reporter for the Washington Post, she tweeted a 2016 Daily Beast story about the Kobe Bryant sexual assault within hours after the tragedy was announced on Sunday. And her initial tweet about the allegation against Bryant drew controversy, you know, and a lot of negative reaction, including death threats, apparently. She defended it writing that any public figure is worth remembering in their totality. Um, So the New York Times reported that before she was suspended, she received an email from Marty Barron, the Post's executive editor. Right. And according to the New York Times, part of the email read, quote, a real lack of judgment to tweet this. Please stop. You're hurting this institution by doing this. Closed quote. Um... And the Post's managing editor, editor, Tracy Grant, said in a statement yesterday that the tweets displayed poor judgment that undermined the work of her colleagues. She was placed on administrative leave, and now the Post is actually being criticized for putting her on administrative leave. And I agree. They should be criticized for this. Look, uh, I'm sorry, but, but you know, for, for fans, for the NBA, for people who love Kobe— there's only one Kobe story to tell on the day he dies. For a newspaper, there's more than one Kobe story to tell. And you can't tell Kobe's story without including the story about what happened in Colorado. You just can't do it. Uh, you know, it, it, I always say, you know, when you're writing the obituary, where is it going to be uh, in, in terms of, uh, is it going to be high up in your obituary or is it going to be down low? This is not going to be high up but it's going to be included in any obituary about Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, the, the sexual assault uh, charges in Colorado. So, I mean, would I have tweeted it out on a day like this? Having, uh, having recognized uh, the, imp- the, like basically that it would, it would create a firestorm. No, I would not have tweeted it out, but I don't feel passionate about it. I'm not a woman. And I'm not a woman who, I don't know about this woman, but I mean, somebody pointed this out uh, that uh, if you're a sexual assault victim, Sunday was a tough day to go through. I mean, because you're seeing the the, uh, adulation for a guy who you probably remember as someone accused of sexual assault. Accused. Accused. That's right. But but pretty strong evidence. Accused. DNA evidence. Uh, no, DNA evidence of an encounter, yes. not of assault. Well, and, and, but in Kobe, it could have been assault, but, in, but, it, w- but it was and, not. And but, the charges were dropped. No, in Kobe's statement, he said, I perceived it to be one thing. She perceived yes. it to be another. Right. That was a pretty strong admission. And which is why it ended up getting settled yes. and there was a payment made in a civil suit. Yes. But he was not... Um, he was not charged with anything or convicted of anything. No, in because she case. wouldn't testify. Right. So I just think that which I understand too yeah. happens in a lot of these cases. Yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not making 
uh, a definitive, you know, conclusive opinion on this. I don't know, but nor does anybody else for sure. That's right. No, nobody else knows, but it it's out there as part of your story. I mean, Kobe, Kobe and and I just think it, it, reporting on it on the day he dies is is a necessary burden. That that and she didn't really report on it. She she tweeted she it out. She retweeted the, the 2016 daily. I, gu- I guess because because I mean, like I just it's said, ba- surrounded by by this whole wave of a- a- adulation for him. Uh, you know, there 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 there's a handful of people out there, and probably most of them are women who are thinking, well, what about this? You're right. You're right. And I, I you know what? I thought about it during the day. I I thought. Boy, there's probably, you know, this woman and the people that know her, if it really was a situation in which she felt like she was sexually assaulted or even was, um, regardless of the civil settlement, and she's, you know, and people like her, you know, this was a this was a big story with Kobe Bryant in 2000, you know, in the early 2000s, a huge story. Now, to his you credit, know, to his credit, from what we know, he has done nothing but live uh, an exemplary, a, an life, exemplary sense, life from what we know to be to be proud of uh he uh remember when the controversy involving him using a gay slur yeah. on the court came out oh god you know what and, i forgot about that and how he did a lot on that and how he handled that uh-huh. i mean he he gave, he gave a textbook lesson for people as to how to handle that in the future he wound up becoming a gay rights advocate right as a result of that uh, of, of, of his comments. So, I mean, and part of the tragedy about Kobe's death is it seemed like he was on the verge of a post-playing career that just could have been amazing. Well, I, I mean, mean, a very smart guy uh, with, with, with uh, you know, uh, with a lot of creative ability, creative talent. He won an Oscar, yep. you know? So, I mean, that part of the tragedy is not just the basketball, but what was ahead? There's the I mean, you know, I well, mean, I mean, he he was he was increasing his personal net worth yes. exponentially. This, you know, I, I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday. This investment that he had in body armor uh, in the in the drink in the uh, super drink, um, he was an investor in that. Uh, invested. I I was corrected after the show yesterday. He invested six million dollars into this, or his funded. He had a he created an investment fund with partners. The value of that investment today or yesterday was worth two hundred million dollars. Wow, that's a pretty damn good return. That's pretty. You good. know, in the in the thirty whatever that would be thirty three to one area of return, that's a damn good return. <laughs> um, so, so that's so. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it should not. What happened in Colorado, whether you believe it or not, should not define who he is obviously and no one's saying it should but if you're if you're in the newspaper business if you're in the news business it's part of the story that's all it may not be part of your story if you're a Kobe fan uh but you know it, it it's part of the business of reporting of about Kobe Bryant now um, this reporter, Felicia Sanmez, Sanmez, um, was one of two people who had accused Jonathan Kamen, the former Beijing bureau chief of the Los Angeles Times, of sexual misconduct in 2018. So, <clears throat> she, uh, following the investigation, this guy Kamen ultimately resigned. 
um, though he defended his actions and said the actions were mutually uh, consensual. So, you know, she's come from a perspective of having some, you know, of, of, of some experience with this. Now, back to the post being criticized. First of all, Man, you take you got big balls on a day like Sunday to retweet what she retweeted. Yeah, you do. Okay, so you know she she may have felt super passionate and like you said felt like what are we talking about here? I mean, does it do, do people remember yeah. what he did? Um, but I, I, all of us could have predicted the reaction, which was going to be you know ninety percent, probably yes. nine out of ten. You, you are sh- you out of your mind? You shouldn't have been caught by surprise by the, yeah. by the reaction. Now the post she stayed, caving to she left her apartment and stayed in the hotel room that night because she feared for her life. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there were major. Yeah. It's uh, the report says that she was uh, getting major death threats online. That's where like the post, you know, her employer. I mean, I, they really, really caved to the criticism. Yeah, they did. They really did. Yeah. And I, I can understand why they would be criticized. I mean, there is something called the First Amendment in this country. Yeah. And and she wasn't making something up and she wasn't incorrect. Right. You know? Like, it's not like she came out with something that was wrong. No. To suspe- it, it, to, it was bad if you timing. Want, if you it wanted was... to sit down, if you wanted to talk to her uh, about it, but to suspend her like that... Uh, it, it, it's a kind of a gutless move for a newspaper that you know claims to be leading the leading the the, the uh, light or I forget what what what's uh, their motto these I, days? I don't even know. Kinda. What's their motto? It's something to do with post points, isn't it? I'm not sure. I don't read the post much anymore. Oh, I do. I read it. I don't. I, I read the posts. I, I read the Washington Times. Mm-hmm. I read uh, the New York Times, and I read the Frederick News Post. I read. The, I get the Sunday Times delivered, which is one of my favorite things uh, on Sundays. New York Times delivered, <laughs> not your paper. Do you have a Sunday edition? We don't. We have Monday I didn't think through Friday. So. Um, and then, and I get the post, and I read the I, I read the sports section of the post now. I'm not reading the Post anymore for breaking news. I mean, that's not what they do anymore, right? Well, they do. Uh, not very often. No, they do. I read it for the co- the, the columnists that I like. Right. There are a few columnists. Oh, you're that talking I like. sports? No, they yeah. don't. I mean, they, I, but they break a lot of news. Yeah, news, news. Yes, I'm talking about sports. Right. News. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Real quick word uh, to get this um, my bookie in because it is the Super Bowl on Sunday, and lot of, lots of you are going to want to bet the game. And if you don't have a way to bet it, I've got the place for you to go bet it. Head over to mybookie.ag. My bookie is one of the most trusted sports books in the industry. If you're looking for a sports book to bet on, certainly the Super Bowl, college basketball, NBA, um, we'll, get, we'll be in March Madness before we know it. My bookie is where you want to go. They've got the fastest payouts, the best promotions, and a very helpful 24 7 customer service team. Uh, My bookie's got quality lines, multiple ways to bet as well. Um, they're as good as any sports book around, and there's someone you can trust. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway. So if you want to deposit 500 bucks, it'll give you an extra 250 bucks to play w- play with. They'll do it all the way up to a thousand. That means if you deposit two thousand dollars, they'll give you up to a thousand dollars. That's the level they'll go to in matching your deposit halfway. All you got to do do is use my promo code Kevin DC. That's K E V I N D C to activate the offer at mybookie.ag. All right, a little bit more. Um, I wanted to read the Kobe statement um, from on LeBron because 
look, I, I'm on Sunday. There was one one person I was really interested in hearing from in terms of their response. One, and it was Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, that was the person I was looking for, and he tweeted something out. It was that night or late in the afternoon that evening or whatever. Um, a lot of people were waiting to hear from LeBron. I wasn't necessarily waiting to hear from LeBron. I, 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 it, I'm going to read what, what well, he said. LeBron had said. just passed Kobe yes, on, 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 on the all-time And we had heard list. from him that night before, and then they got on a flight from Philadelphia out to, back to L.A., and they were told about the passing on the flight. I'm just telling you that LeBron's reaction wasn't one that I was waiting for, but I'm interested. When it came out, I was interested to hear what he said, and I'm going to read it to you, all right? Yes. Were you waiting with bated breath? No. On what LeBron had to say about this? No. What about anybody my, else? My b- breath is never bated. No, it's not great right now either, just as an FYI. <laughs> were you, but you, you were interested in what Shaq had to say. Of course. Yeah. I mean, because their relationship is, yeah. is, is always of interest. So here's what LeBron Instagrammed out, I guess, late last night. Quote, I'm not ready, but here I go. Man, I sitting here trying to write something for this post. But every time I try, I begin crying again, just thinking about you, niece Gigi, and the friendship bond brotherhood we had. I literally just heard your voice Sunday morning before I left Philly to head back to L.A. Didn't think for one bit in a million years that this would be the last conversation we'd have. WTF! Exclamation point, exclamation point. I'm heartbroken and devastated, my brother, with four sad crying emojis with a heart as well. Man, I love you, big bro. My heart goes to Vanessa and the kids. I promise you I'll continue your legacy, man. You mean so much to all of us here, especially Laker Nation. And it's my responsibility now to put this shit on my back and keep it going. Please give me the strength from the heavens above and watch over me. I got us. I got us here. There's so much more I want to say, but just can't right now because I can't get through it. Until we meet again, my brother. Mamba for life. Gigi for life. So that was LeBron's uh, okay. Instagram. <clears throat> what are you looking at what, me for? Well, I mean, I think you're waiting for, for some kind of reaction. No, there, I mean, so, there, okay. There's, there's no, very... Stop, stop. There's no reaction yet Sunday, Monday in these days where people are truly grief-stricken and emotional that I, I'm, I'm never critical. That's I mean, it's, right. There's no right or wrong there's reaction, no right or wrong. really. There's no right or wrong. No. Um, I mean, I, not when it comes to, actually, to expressing grief. No, there was some information in here. He had talked to yes. Kobe clearly on Sunday morning before he got in the helicopter, I'm assuming. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, we'll hear, I guess, one day what that conversation was. I'm sure it was about Saturday night and yeah. him passing him on that list. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's going to continue his legacy and he's going to put the shit on his back and keep it going. LeBron. So let's talk about Kobe. Kobe the, let's talk about the basketball exactly. player. Exactly. Let's talk about Kobe Bryant, the basketball player. So I think we, we've done this so many times, and we'll always continue to do it. What is it about the list when it comes to – I think that the, the lists that people do more often than not, that they debate, are the top quarterbacks of all time and, like, the top ten NBA players of all time. Don't you think those are the lists? Like, what other lists or, or, uh, or, or debates – do you get into the rankings? That's pretty much it. Those are the two big ones. Don't you feel and, the same and, way? And I think the quarterback <clears throat> uh, one has been almost put to bed by Brady. 
Yeah, well, yeah, in terms of number one. Yeah. But I'm talking about like a top ten. Okay. That kind of thing. It seems to be. I mean, but usually the debates are about who was the greatest. Yeah. The, the one sports debate is who was the greatest basketball player of all time. Who was the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, well Chamberlain for okay. me. But you're a Magic more than a Michael guy, like I am. Right? Yes. Even though at this, I mean, I'm fine. Mike can be one, and, and Magic can be one. Hey, my opinion is Magic's number one. When we've done this before, we've we've sort of done it as including everybody, and then done it as the non-center conversation. You know, the centers on the list that would be considered for the top ten to top fifteen players haven't played. If you consider, like I do, Elijah Wan as part of the conversation, and I do. I think he's incredibly underrated as one of the all-time greats. I agree. His last year was in 2002. So there hasn't been a center. Shaquille, Shaquille's in that conversation. I don't put Shaquille in the same conversation personally as Wilt, Kareem, um, Russell, and, and no. Elijah one. No, I don't. But he's, he's not. But, but we had the same argument, not argument, but discussion when the NFL Network just did their list of, of greatest NFL yeah. players. When they got to running back, not one of the running backs, except for, I think, Emmett Smith at the end of his career, had played in this century. Right. So it's the same thing with, with, with running is backs. That, is that true? Not one of the ten running backs. Hmm. I thought I think we're missing somebody. Curtis Martin played in this century. He wasn't in the top ten. Oh, right. Right, right. Top ten running backs. NFL Network. Yeah, yeah, I got it. What do you got to stop this momentum that we got going here? Because I, I'm actually interested in what you said now. Well, I, you I know what? Know that... that... Um, I mean, Barry Sanders played in this century. No, this is the 21st century. I understand that. He, pl- he played in the early When did 2000s. he retire? No, he retired. What, what year did Barry Sanders? Oh, 1998. Look at right. that. I mean, what am I doing with you? <laughs> Emmett Smith. Why, why am I even here? <laughs> Emmett Smith. Huh? You're right. All of them yes. finished up their career with the exception of Emmett Smith before Why would century. you think I would make that up? I don't know. I just, I thought you may have been wrong about that. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so, okay, getting back to the greatest basketball. Yeah. You know, it, it, is, it is one of the most hotly contested debates. You think it's the list. I think it's just singularly greatest basketball player of all time. But let's stick with the list and where Kobe fits on the list. He's not top five. And I said that yesterday, and I, and I hold by it. Um, whether you're putting all the players into the conversation or, or the non-centers, uh, the non-centers, you'd be pretty close to the top five. But here's the list I created. You ready? Yeah. Because I did this on radio today. Magic's my number one. Michael's two. Wilt is three. And the reason, I, and I didn't see Wilt play, but you know everything I've ever read about Wilt. My father loved Wilt. You loved Wilt. The numbers are outrageous. The athleticism. The fact that so many people think that at fifty he still would have averaged yes. twenty-five points a game, and that he's maybe the greatest athlete of all time. Um, Wilt's three. I have now put LeBron into the into the top four. I, I never wanted to. It's hard to keep him out of that conversation of, of the top five. And I put Russell at five. Again, I didn't see him, but by everybody's, you know, the winning and the defensive nature. I put Kareem six, Larry seven, Kobe eight, Oscar nine, because a, a lot of people have Oscar higher than that. Yes. 
And I put Hakeem Olajuwon as my number 10 player in front of Duncan and in front of Shaq and in front of Malone or Elgin or West or anybody else you want to put into that conversation. I've got Olajuwon at 10. So I've got Kobe at 8 on the all-time list. A lot of, you know, I was looking at various lists in preparation for the radio show. A lot of people have him in the top 5 and a lot of people have him outside the top 10. So it's a it's it's one of those debates. Here's before I get to your your opinion on this. It is true that tragic death often sort of elevates, if not exaggerates, legacy and how they were. And I used the example this morning of Len Bias because people always said Len Bias was going to be the next Michael Jordan. And I never felt that way as much as I loved Bias. I think Bias was going to be the next Dominique Wilkins. That's who his game really resembled. His game did not resemble Jordan's game. His athleticism, he was a better jumper and a more powerful jumper than even Michael was and would have been part of every night sports center top 10 right. you know, for, for a long period of time. And I think he would have been a great NBA player. But his game was more Dominique Wilkins than it was a two guard, which Michael was. You know, it, Len, Leonard didn't have the handle that Jordan, you know, developed. Uh, and maybe he would have. Maybe he would have. But I think, you know, Sean Taylor's legacy, people talk, talk about, you know, after he passed away so suddenly, you know, uh, that, that he was on, his, on the way to being the greatest safety of all time. People forget the first three years of Sean Taylor's career were very, very up and down inconsistent. You know, that last year where he played eight, nine games before he got hurt and traveled to Florida and was ultimately killed, um, that was that was a year he right. was putting together. And you could see it coming together, like the size, the speed, the closing ability, the range. And he was, I think, going to be a great all-time safety. I don't know if he would have been the greatest – but I don't think it's nuts with Sean Taylor if you watch that last season to project that he would have been a perennial uh, pro bowler, all pro player, and one of the greatest to ever play the position. You know, but um, you know the the discussion of his four years as being him being a great player. He was he was a talented player, but he was a very inconsistent player in those first couple of seasons. Wasn't great, right? But he was in that last year, and he was getting better. But anyway, the point being. You know, sometimes death creates a new conversation about the player and his career. I don't think that. I don't think it's going to change Kobe's perception at all. I think people had all have the same perception of Kobe. Uh, be, you know that they had before he died. I mean, what's he going to do? Is he going to bypass Michael? Is he going to bypass LeBron? I don't think so. I don't think he is. He's not going to bypass uh, Wilt or Russell. Or anything like. Look, I think I, mean, so. I think with some people, well, he I might. know he has because because some people j- just refuse to acknowledge that basketball existed before they were born. Yeah, that's your, you know, that's your default. So, well, I, you know, <laughs> I, it, it, it's the, the truth. It's a pretty good default. So, uh, I mean, my list off the top of my head would be Wilt, Russell. Uh, I would put Jordan ahead of Magic, even though I liked Magic better. Uh, Magic. And then Kareem. That would so you be, don't have LeBron in your top five? No. He wouldn't be in my top five. Okay. I'd put Kareem in my okay, top five. Okay, so then? Then after that, I would probably put uh, LeBron, Kobe. Uh, you got Kobe ahead of Larry Bird? Yeah, and then I have Larry. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, took some calls on this this morning, and somebody um, you know, basically said, 
How can you have Larry Bird ahead of Kobe? Kobe's one of the great defenders of all time, too. And I had I had Bird like one. I'm like, it's it's a debate worthy of having. I mean, and I'm not I'm not gonna you know fight to to the death uh, to take Larry Bird before Kobe Bryant. They're in the same level, but. You know, I think sometimes people forget that Larry Bird's one of the greatest passers at any position in the history of the game. Look at and I, Google, I mean, Google Google Larry Bird <laughs> highlights and not, Google Larry Bird interviews and see the interviews of the players who played against him. Right, and and how they how they speak in awe of him. These are his peers, great players like Barkley, like Xavier McDaniel's, a tough guy like him. Uh, I mean, just he was among basketball players. That, like Kirk Cousins said, "Game knows those, game." Those who know, know. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's the way it is with Larry Bird. Those who know, know. Well, I mean, Larry Bird was not a great defender. No, he wasn't. But Michael and Kobe and LeBron is in that category of great passer. Michael and Kobe not at the same level of passer that Larry Bird was. I mean, Larry Bird and Magic, and I put LeBron into this category, are probably, in terms of my lifetime of watching basketball, the players that made everybody else better around them more than other players did it. Now, look, Michael and Kobe being big-time, elite, high-volume scorers night in and night out obviously made it easier on their teams, on the rest of their team. And Michael's first two titles came passing the ball to John Paxson and Steve Kerr. Well, not. I'm sorry. The first one to Paxson, and then the second group of three uh, to Kerr. So um, it's the, the three in a row. So he obviously made the right pass, and Kobe made the right pass. I'm sure too. Larry Bird, whatever you want to say about him defensively, and he could probably guard with the game on the line. But man, is he the he and Magic for me two greatest yeah. passers I think I've ever seen. I agree. I agree with that. What's your list of the greatest Lakers of all time? He, well, I've just given you two that I Grace, three, three that I've got ahead of him. Okay, Magic, Wilt, and Kareem. I've got ahead of him. So I see. I wouldn't put Wilt. On the, on, I wouldn't put Wilt so on, put my on the Seventy Sixers. Yeah, I wouldn't put Wilt on okay, my Lakers. Okay, so I'd list. have Magic and Kareem before Kobe. He'd so be, would be I. number three. Okay, what about LeBron? He's a Laker now, you know. Oh well, but he. I don't perceive him to be a Laker. No, neither do I. Yeah, I would agree with your list: Magic, Kareem, Kobe. Yeah, that would be my top three right there. But Wilt won. Wilt won, I think, two NBA titles with the Lakers, at least one or two. Yeah. Uh, I, I. No, I think Wilt, he won one. I think he won one with. He the won Lakers. one with the Over Lakers. Over the Knicks, right? Uh, yeah, the seventy-two. I yeah, think. that's right. Yeah, the year after uh, Lou Alcindor won with the Bucks. The right, Lakers which was seven, which was seventy-one. Yeah, they beat the Bullets. Uh, they so. did, and Oscar Robertson was right. on that team. So, uh, you no, know who else was on that team? Bobby Dandridge was on that team. That Buck team, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Uh, the um, so no, I mean, Wilt yeah, won two-time w- NBA champion. Wilt yeah. was sixty-seven w- in Philly and seventy-two in LA. Right, so, and he was the NBA Finals MVP in seventy-two. Yeah. I mean, his, his Wilt's numbers. I mean, my God, yeah. I mean, seriously. Not just, not just the numbers, but again, Google Google stories about Wilt. I mean, just, 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 Wilt was literally the greatest athlete of the 20th century. I mean, it, I'm sorry. I mean, what on what planet would somebody not consider Wilt Chamberlain to be one of the greatest three, four, five players of all time? When in 1961-62, he averaged 50.4 points per game and 25.7 <laughs> rebounds per game. 
I mean, seriously. And he and 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 he was, you know, he had years the next year, 44.8, 24.3. That's un these are numbers that have never been approached ever. The Wilt thing. I mean, I, I look, we had this conversation a year ago when I told you that on NBA TV they were showing like the 1961-62 finals or whatever, and I'm right. like, DeMatha would have beaten them, you know, and because it really was a completely different game athletically and skill-wise even it was a different game. But man, There's Wilt. a video of Wilt shooting skyhooks from, from the corner and hitting one after the other after the other, after the other. This is from the corner, as far away from the basket as you can get. And he's hitting one hook after another. Kobe, to me, is not... Like, uh, Magic and Michael in the non-center thing is is at a level that when we start talking about everybody else, it's just a notch down. You know, Kobe, Larry Bird, LeBron, if people want to say Oscar Robertson is in that conversation... That that's that's what I what I think. I just think mag, magic, you know. And the other thing about Kobe, and I said this yesterday, and he got it, and it, it's important. But God was winning a title without Shaquille O'Neal super important to the oh, way people absolutely. view him and his legacy. Because if he didn't win against those two titles without him, yeah. let's just say they lost in the seventh and deciding game against the Celtics and in the other series, we wouldn't top ten, not even close to it. Because you'd always remember that he couldn't do anything without without Shaq, right? You know, and um, that speaks to his. And one thing about Kobe from afar, I mean, I know you're in love with the word competitor. Yeah, I mean, Kobe, was Kobe, Larry, and Michael. That's the list. Competitors. Those three are in a class by themselves. Yeah, Bird, Jordan, and and Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Like just in being able to witness it on watching them on television. Yeah, they had the killer gene. They had the, you know, they were assassins yeah. at the end. And, and, and that's why that's, I think Kobe basically willed himself to those two titles. He carried a team that wasn't that, wasn't a championship yeah. team. Gasol's pretty good. Yeah, I know that. He's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we both have him in our, in our top 10. You've got him at seven and I've got him at eight, yeah. I think is what we just determined, right? Yes. Because you put Kareem, you had LeBron at six and then Kobe at seven and then Bird at eight. And uh, I'm surprised that someone like you doesn't make the case like so many people your age make for Oscar Robertson. Like he's the he was the triple double guy when you know there were you know we in recent years obviously we've seen all of his numbers shattered. Right. But but God, for how long? I know was he the only guy to ever average a triple double? Triple double in a season. In a season yeah. until Westbrook did it and has done it a couple of times now. Okay, what else do we have on the show today? I have some notes here. What else did we have? What about my column. I want to talk about your column. You want to talk about my column? Oh, I wanted to just mention this one thing real quickly before we get to your column. Um, last night, Sacramento was playing Minnesota in the NBA. Do you know anything about this? No. <laughs> it's the NBA. Why would I know anything about um, it? Do you have a problem with the Lakers and the Clippers being uh, postponed? No. I mean, come on. There's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer right. to that. I, I've heard a lot of people criticizing, like, Kobe would want him to play. I have no problem with yeah. whatever they chose to do. Um, so um, last night in the NBA, Sacramento, two bad teams, Sacramento and uh, Minnesota. Sacramento was down 27 at one point, but they were down 17 points with two and a half minutes to go. 
and came back and tied the game and forced overtime. Think about that. Down 17 with two and a half minutes well, to go. That's your NBA. That's Well, that's not even <laughs> the NBA. Do you know why? Why? Because it's the first time in 8,378 games it's happened <laughs> since 1996-97. And actually, I found this interesting, Aaron. So the, the ESPN Stats and Info put out, put out last night that uh, Sacramento became the first team to rally from more than 17 or more down in the final three minutes of a game to win a game. Uh, And since 1996-97, 8,378 games have been played where a team had a 17-point lead or larger in the final three minutes, and they hadn't lost any of those games. So last night was the first. But the reason it only goes back to 96-97 is not because it happened in 1995. It's because that was the first year they started keeping play-by-play stats. That's remarkable to me. Like I can't imagine that in the early 90s or in the 80s, they didn't have play-by-play at that point. But they, they didn't, and that's why I don't, they didn't have the stat. But anyway, it reminded me of a game that I'm going to tell you about that I guarantee you you won't remember. Um, you weren't even in the market at this point. In 1986, the Bullets played the 76ers in a first-round best-of-five. This was after the miniseries, which we remember, right. the best two out of three. Um, they had already gone to you know eight teams per conference, but it was a best of five first round, not best of seven like it is now. And the Bullets weren't very good, um, but they qualified as a playoff team. They had Dan Roundfield on the team, Gus Williams on the team. Was Jeff Malone on that Jeff team? Jeff Malone was on the team. Manute Bowl was the starting center. Cliff Robinson, the first version of Cliff Robinson, remember him? Um, was on the team. Anyway, they played game one in Philadelphia, and they were down 17 points with three minutes and 40 seconds in the game. And they scored the game's final 18 points and won it 95-94. They were down 94-77 to with 340 to go, and they won the game 95-94, to scoring the final 18 points of the game. They went on to lose the series in five games to the 76ers. Dr. J was on that team. Barkley was on that team. Cheeks was on that team. Bobby Jones was on that team. Um, And so, but here's the, so that is even more incredible because back then there was a three-point line, but teams didn't really shoot three-pointers. No, they didn't. In fact, the final numbers from that game, the, the, 76ers on the night were 0 for 3 on three-pointers. <laughs> you would never see that, right? In the last 20 years, you wouldn't see that. Right. The Bullets were 3 for 6 from behind the arc. And in that comeback, Dudley Bradley, who was the worst shooter in the NBA and was a defensive specialist, was on the floor, made two threes in the final three minutes and 40 seconds, including banking one in at the buzzer after Dr. J on the other end, Tommy, Missed one free throw, missed two, and then there was a lane violation. He got a third and missed the third. <laughs> and the Bullets got the ball. Manute Bowl grabbed it, timeout, and then Dudley Bradley banked one in from like beyond the three-point line in the top of the key area, and the Bullets scored 18 points to end the game. I remember watching that game, and I don't know if we've ever seen a comeback in playoff history like that. Down eight, Down 17 with 340 to go. Probably not. To win a game. I don't think we have. Um, it, it, it sparked a conversation this morning about some of the recent great comebacks. The best one I've seen recently, Aaron, was that Texas A&M comeback over Northern Iowa. Yeah, in the tournament. 
Was that two years ago? It was 2017. I looked it up, and they were down 12 with 31 seconds to go and came back, forced overtime, and won. It's pretty hard to come from 12 down. Now, it also brought this up because somebody tweeted this to me. Did you see this yesterday? No. You don't know what I'm going to talk about? No. So yesterday, Duke basketball tweeted out, the 19-year anniversary of the Miracle in a Minute was, game. That's what I was afraid you were yeah. going to say. <laughs> so they tweeted that out, and there was a lot of response to it, and somebody sent that to me uh, today. That was pretty incredible. That was down 10 with a minute to go. In this Bullets comeback against the 76ers, they were down 10 with a minute to go. They would cut the 17 to 10 with like a minute to go and then ended up winning. Uh, the most painful of all of those was definitely the Duke game. The Bullets yes. game was a thrill. I was like, oh, my God, they just beat the- we might win this series. God, I loved the NBA back then, and I loved the Bullets back then. Uh, does any... Nobody remembers those years. No. Um, Alright, tell me about your column that you just wrote okay, in the Washington gonna, Times about spend, the 69 Chiefs. I'm going to spend a minute talking about my column, okay. and then a minute talking about something else, and then I'm done. And I'm not going to talk anymore until Thursday. I'm listening. Okay. I wrote a column about what I said was the forgotten defense in the NFL. Uh, the 1969 Chiefs that went on to defeat the uh, Minnesota Vikings 23-7 to in the last time the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl IV, uh, and uh, how great that defense was. And it may have been one of the greatest of all time that really gets, you know, forgotten when we're talking about, like, the great Pittsburgh Steelers defenses, the great Chicago Bears defenses. No one mentions the 69 Chiefs. Uh, and, and they played three playoff games against the Jets, the Raiders, and, uh, and the Vikings. They beat the Jets 13 to six. They beat the Raiders 17 to seven. They beat the, the, they beat the Vikings 23 to seven. I think it's the first time and the only time in postseason history where a team has held uh, opposing teams to under 10 points in, in all their playoff games. I think that's really the only time that's ever happened. Well, boy, the for, the 49ers are getting close. Yes. Well, actually, no, they're not. Um, no. Yeah. So, so I mean, and, and one of the things I pointed out was there's only two teams in the history of the NFL that had as ma- this many Hall of Famers on their defense. One was the Packers, six Hall of Famers on that late 60s uh, Packers defense, and the 69 Chiefs had six Hall of Famers on the defense. Curly Colt, Buck Buchanan, Willie Lanier, Bobby Bell, Johnny Robinson, and Emmett Thomas. All the other deep, great defenses we talked about, not six Hall of Famers on the list. Wow. that's What about the Steelers' defenses? Uh, no, four. Four, four on, on, on the list of the great 70s Steelers' defense. And I interviewed Bobby Bell about that, you know, how great that defense was. And he told a story about how the Jets had a goal line. The Jets had three plays from the one-yard line to try to score, and and the Chiefs stopped them on all three and told the story about how he tackled Namath on one of them, and Namath said to him, Bell, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. No, it's like the, you know, yeah. Bell had crossed them up. Right. Uh, so that's all. It's just it's it's a forgotten defense. It's related to the Super Bowl that's going on this week. Because it's about the Chiefs. The other thing is, is Aaron, is there news about Dusty Baker? Can uh, we can we wait on the Dusty Baker? Because I want to follow up on your column first. Okay. okay. So um, the that Super Bowl team, that 69 Chiefs team, the 70 Super Bowl win uh, in Tulane Stadium against the Vikings, 
they were a massive underdog in that Super Bowl. 13 points. 13-point underdog. The year after, the Jets had, you know, uh, and, and people thought that was a fluke yes. the year before. So, you know, still, we were still in the age of the AFL being perceived as inferior to the NFL. Yes. And this was the game more than the Jet game. Ultimately, I've read a lot of stuff about this particular game that really convinced the NFL that, oh, my God, we, you know, yeah. we, we have a competitive league. And the merger, I think, had already been planned for yeah, 1970. The merger, yeah, this was the last AFL-NFL Super Bowl. Exactly. But, the, but the, the feeling still was that the NFL teams were far superior to the AFC teams. And Kansas City destroyed a great Minnesota team with, by the way, a pretty damn good defense themselves. Yes. You know, with the Purple People Eaters in that particular uh, Super Bowl. And it's a Super Bowl that I think you rightly bring up how great that defense was with all of those Hall of Famers because this Super Bowl is remembered by pro football fans for the great NFL films miking up of Hank Stram yes. and all of the sound that came out of this Super Bowl for um, uh, from Hank Stram. Matriculate the, the ball down yeah. the field. You know, cr- uh, cross 22 uh, power trap or whatever yeah. it was, um, and you have all that sound. Come on, Lenny. Come on, Lenny. Let's <laughs> matriculate the ball down the field, boys. <laughs> yeah. And you've got all that sound. Aaron, find that so we can go out uh, on this show by playing some they Hank lo- Stram. They loved Hank Stram, by the oh, way. Bobby yeah. Be- Bobby Bell said they loved Hank Stram. Hank Stram Stram's an, uh, is a Hall of Fame <laughs> coach and was considered to be an innovator. Innovator. A big-time innovator. Way ahead of his time. And I might want to point out, Bobby Bell, uh, we automatically go to Lawrence Taylor and maybe Ronnie Lott or Reggie White as the, the greatest defensive players of all time. Bobby Bell's in that conversation. Right. Among the greatest defensive players of all time. A tremendous linebacker who who was six foot, I think six foot three, about 230 pounds, and could run a 4-4 back in, in 1969. So uh, Bobby Bell should be on, on that list of greatest defensive players of all time. Um, the uh, So that that Super Bowl was remembered for that. But the, the next year was the beginning of the merger. Yes. You know, the two, and they created the AFC and the, the NFC, NFC off of that. Yeah. And um, – that that Super Bowl too. If you go back and look at some of the uh, the the information from that Super Bowl, uh, it was one of the coldest Super Bowls ever played. It was in Tulane Stadium. The field was a mess. If you've ever seen the film of it, you, the, the the playing conditions would never be allowed. It would never happen well, in the set, era of of the Super yeah, Bowl. Super Bowl FedEx Field. It would be normal. Yeah, FedEx Field. <laughs> yes, um, but I think there, and then I think when. Um, well, obviously, the Giants Stadium Super Bowl ended up be, being the coldest Super Bowl, even though there wasn't any snow that day. Right. But I think it, that Super Bowl and maybe the one played in Houston outdoors uh, before the Astrodome was built, which was the Miami first, uh, the Miami second Super Bowl win after they. I, I could, actually, I don't know if that's true or not. I got to look that up. But that, that Miami Super Bowl where they beat the Vikings, um, that was in Houston, right? I think that was in Houston. I don't know. You're off on a tangent. I'm off on a tangent. Looking this shit up. Okay, let me let Hold me on. L- let me let Hold me. on. I let me just uh, you're going to no, get it no, no, because then I'm going to go back and No, no. Just no, wait I, here for a second. I've got uh, it right here. I don't I've want to. I got it right here. I don't want to wait. Um Rice Stadium it was. Okay. That that Miami Dolphins 74 Super Bowl 73 season was played outdoors in Houston at Rice Stadium. Now, the Astrodome was built at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. 
So I wonder why they played it outdoors. But that I think that and the Tulane Stadium were the coldest Super Bowls before the Giants Super Bowl. Like the temperatures were like in the 40s and it was bad weather. All right, Dusty Baker. What's going on with Dusty Baker, Aaron? So Bob Nightingale has said that while it's not official yet, the Astros have decided on Dusty Baker as their new manager. I'm glad Dusty's going to manage. So am I. Dusty Baker is a very good manager. Uh, all you geeks in your basement, you you, you you were so wrong about Dusty. And I tell you what, this is going to make, this is only going to add to a very interesting West Palm Beach spring training <laughs> because not only do the Astros, the sign-stealing cheaters, share the spring training complex with the Washington Nationals. Now Dusty Baker, former Nationals manager, is going to be right next door with the Houston Astros. That's going to be a wild spring training down there. Well, they'll play each other a And they play each other. Well, the first first preseason exhibition game is February 22nd, a Saturday night. Astros versus Nationals. Dusty versus Dave Martinez, baby. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what's really going to annoy me about this? And I'm really happy that Dusty has a job. But the Astros have already started framing this as like, this is going to be a redemption season. Oh, this God, is, And yeah. Dusty is they, the perfect manager to have that yes. Uh, narrative. Yes, he, he's the right guy for them because yeah. they, they're going to portray themselves as victims, as, as, as a team that was victimized in this. You know, uh, so Dusty's the right guy for, for, for what they need to do right now. They're, they it, need credibility. It, and they are a good team. Yes, they are. They <laughs> are a really good team. team. Um, okay, just um, a quick uh, uh, correction. The coldest Super Bowl was the Super Bowl at Tulane Stadium. Uh, 43 degrees in 1972, which was the Dolphins-Cowboys Super Bowl. Which the Dolphins at lost. At Tulane Stadium, which the Dolphins lost. And then Super Bowl Seven, they won the first of two right. back-to-back against the Redskins. Um, so that was the actual coldest. The Giants Stadium Super Bowl, the temperatures were in the mid to upper 40s at kickoff. The next day, though, however, do you remember if that, if that Super Bowl... If the weather had come in one day earlier, they had a foot of snow the next day. <laughs> um, so it was it was an idea to me. Those are bad ideas playing Super Bowls outdoors in cold weather cities because you could end up having yeah. a disaster one of these years. They got away with it by less than twenty four hours in that game uh, in the Meadowlands between the Seahawks and the Bronco, uh, the Seahawks in the uh, in Denver. You were there. I wasn't. There. I was. I didn't go to the game. I, I was know, there but all you were week. In New York. Yeah, that was a fun week. Um, so anyway, uh, I was wrong. It wasn't Houston, and it wasn't Tulane Stadium from the Chiefs-Vikings game. Even though the weather for that game was terrible, it was rainy and the field was a mess. Right. What else you got? I got nothing else. Me neither. Thanks. Uh, back tomorrow, everybody. Enjoy the day. Hey, this guy's can't move the ball against us. Let's do the job on it, baby. Let's go, boys. Hey, let's go, man. Come on, let's negotiate the ball down the field, Leonard. Come on, Lenny. Pump it in there, baby. Just keep matriculating the ball down the field, boys. Yes, sir, that's... Yes, sir, boys. Yes, sir, boys. Yes, sir.